All right, Revelation 13, Revelation 13, continuing where we, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the whole counsel of God, because nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Encourage you to come out on Thursday nights. We're going through 2 Chronicles. We started in Genesis on Thursdays. We're in 2 Chronicles. We started in Matthew on Sundays, and we have gone through the entire New Testament all the way to Revelation chapter 13 this morning. So turn your Bibles there. If you have an outline, grab it. I'm going to have to print more. We ran out today, which is a good thing. Amen. So we're going to print more, but uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. And as we look at the person of the Antichrist, the, the, the phony Christ, the false Messiah, the one who comes to deceive, to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, I pray that as we read your word and we study it, we'll recognize how blessed we are that we know the true Messiah, the true Savior of the world, the true and living God. I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. Be glorified, we pray. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said... Really briefly, the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It's the only book in the Bible that has its own divine outline. In Revelation 1, it talks about in the book of Revelation, we will see the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are going to come. Chapter 1, we see Jesus in heaven. Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger or a savior on a cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and again, Read Revelation 1 to get a picture of Jesus where he is now. Chapter 2 and 3 is the what age? Church. church age. So the church age is what we're living in now. In chapter 2 and 3, we saw the church mentioned 19 times in the letter to the seven churches. But we know that at the end of chapter 3, it's the end of the church age. And then chapter 4, verse 1, John, who's being given this vision on the island of Patmos, is called up. The word's harpazo, but in Latin it's rapturo, where we get the word for rapture. And so he is called up, and from that perspective, he has a heavenly perspective of what takes place on earth from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19. We do not see the church mentioned any more times until the church comes back with the Lord at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of the Great Tribulation. So the Great Tribulation begins, again, Pastor Dave's perspective and the perspective of most evangelicals is pre-trib, pre-millennial, which literally means that God will snatch the church away before he brings a righteous judgment upon a wicked and uh, world that has rejected Jesus Christ. Now, during that seven-year tribulation, we've been going through it. We have seen the picture of heaven. We saw the picture of heaven that the focus of heaven is what? The throne of God. Focus of heaven is the throne of God. We saw the elders around the throne worshiping the Lord. And as we've moved forward, we have seen the, the, in the last couple of weeks, especially chapters 12, 13, and 14 are what are called the sign chapters. And what we see are the, the main players during the great tribulation. So we saw the woman, who's that? Israel. Israel. Then we saw the child, who's that? Then we saw the dragon, who's that? Okay, so this morning we're going to see another one of those, we saw it a little bit last week, the Antichrist or the beast. And then next week, come back next week, at the second half of this chapter, we will see the false prophet. And so these signs, these 
Things that we read in the book of Revelation, always take the book of Revelation literal, unless it can't be. And we know in these chapters they're not, because these things are referred to as signs. And so we're going to learn through chapter 13 today, okay? So, chapter 13, grab your outline if you have it. I apologize if you don't have one. I think they're going to put up on the screen. So I tell the message, the beast, the anti in place of Christ, the evil, murderous, hellbound, counterfeit Messiah. Now you know how I feel about this guy. Amen? So I gave us seven points here. The beast or the antichrist thinks that he will do or who he will be when he's here. Now the good news is, I don't want to say this right up front so I don't forget to say it at the end. As believers, we don't need to be looking for the antichrist. We don't need to be looking for the antichrist. I have people call me all the time. Do you think so-and-so is the antichrist? I don't know and I don't care because I won't be here. Can I get an amen to that? What I mean by that is you get so, we have some people so focused on the Antichrist, we need to be focusing on Christ. We don't need to look for the Antichrist, and I don't believe that he'll come on the scene until after we're gone, but even if he did in some way, that's not our focus. Our focus is on Jesus. And too often we get focused on the negative or you get focused on the opposition, and we need to focus on our Savior. So the beast or Antichrist, number one, will be a dictator more powerful and cruel than any leader the world has ever known. Just think about that. In a time when Hitler and Stalin and Mao and all these different vile, Nero, back in AD 70, all these wicked, vile world leaders, this guy's going to be worse than all of them. And so he's going to raise to power. We're going to see that he's hard to kill, he has great power and strength, and he's empowered by Satan. Number two, he will appear to have power over death. So we touched on this briefly last week. We only looked at verse one. I'm going to kind of go back over that a little bit this morning. But he's going to suffer a fatal blow. But in the middle of that, he's going to, most people believe, raise from the dead. Being the imitation Christ, he's going to even imitate the resurrection. And when he raises from the dead, in the midst, or at least appears to, in the midst of all this taking place, the, keep in mind that by this point, we've already had a third of the world's population die in a single day, a fourth of the world's population. The mountains have all moved, huge earthquakes, 120 pound hailstones falling from the sky. The world's in a total chaos, and this guy's going to come into play. And is it going to be somebody that once they see and think he has power over death, that the worship for him is going to increase? Number three, he will be worshiped by the world as part of the unholy trinity. So the unholy trinity, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Satan is like the anti-father, right? The beast is the anti-Christ, and we'll see the false witness, the false prophet next week, who is like the anti-Holy Spirit. He's going to be getting people to worship the beast. He's going to be encouraging the worship of Satan and the anti-Christ. Fourthly, we'll see just tell me these things don't sound like th some of the leaders in the world today. He will be a great orator. He's going to be a charismatic, eloquent speaker who can command a crowd. He will appear to have the answers in a time of desperation in the midst of God's judgment. And he will also be an arrogant blasphemer who speaks against God and all he stands for. That sounds like about two-thirds of the world's leaders right now. Where they're eloquent and people are more memorized by someone being charismatic than someone having character. Amen? 
and we elect people because they're good on TV, and so this guy is gonna be seen worldwide, he's gonna captivate the audience, and he's gonna speak out against everything that God stands for. And keep in mind, when this takes place, the church will have been raptured, and the only thing that will remain, along with 144,000 uh, you know, Jewish Billy Grahams, we'll see that in two weeks, and we'll also see that there will be a lot of people getting saved in the midst of that time, but they're gonna be outnumbered in a huge way and he's going to speak against all that God stands for. By the way, as believers, we need to stop sitting back and being quiet when people are speaking out against our God. Quit, just quit being afraid of what the world's gonna say. The Bible tells us that blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Don't be a jerk, don't be self-righteous, don't be angry, don't be bitter, but be bold and be truthful, amen? And we need more of that because the truth is being drowned out by all the people screaming the lies. Amen? Number five, he will make war against all who follow the Lord. He's gonna come after all the saints that are left on the planet. He's already gonna be upset, we'll see it in an earlier verse. He's gonna mock the Christians that are gone because we've all been raptured. And again, I think, I don't, it's gonna be interesting if we get to watch all this from heaven because I wanna see what they say happened to the believers. I don't know if they're gonna say it's an alien, an alien, a bunch of aliens took us or, or the fact that we weren't vaxxed, we all just disappeared, I don't know. But they're gonna have something as the reason why we're no longer here and they're gonna be mocking the believers, but they're gonna come after the saints. It says he'll have authority over every tongue, tribe, and nation. He will use the government and its agencies to, to kill those who do not bow and worship him. Boy, doesn't that sound kind of familiar. Bow to the government or we're gonna kill you. Bow to the, to the false prophet or we're going to kill you. We shouldn't be surprised. Number six, he'll be worshiped by all whose names are not in the book of life. If you don't hear anything else I say to you this morning, there is a book of life and you want your name to be there. Amen? It's the name of every person who has surrendered their life to the Lord, who was born again, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who has the promise of heaven. And if your name is not there, you will spend eternity separated from Almighty God. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure if your name is there or not, we're gonna give you a chance to make sure you know your name is there before you walk out of this tent, amen? And then finally, he will reap righteous judgment for all his evil behavior, as will all who follow him. I know I've mentioned this a couple times already, I don't know if it's still there, but the Auschwitz exhibit at the Reagan Library is amazing. And they have 50 places where you put a, you have a, a little headphone in, and at each spot they tell the story, and, and it's just sad. Slaughtering children, slaughtering six million people died. But you know what? Every one of those guards was just as guilty as Hitler because they should have just said no. Can I get an amen to that? And I want to say the same is true for anybody who follows the enemy is just as guilty because you don't have to follow him. You don't have to listen to him. You don't have to do what he has commanded. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Devil can't make you do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong. Can I get an amen to that? And then we see that he will be eternally judged and cast into the lake of fire. Some of you are like, this is my first time at this church. This is what they do. Yeah, we're in the Bible. We teach all of it. Can I get an amen? amen. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. So let's begin there in verse one. It says, then I... I'm gonna reread this because I taught it last week, but we'll go over it because I want to keep the context. Then I stood on the sand of the sea... And I saw on the sand and of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, 10 horns, and on its horns, 10 crowns, and on its head, a blasphemous name. 
So horns in the Bible speak of power. You know, if you have a bull with two horns, that's a powerful animal. So you're not, when he sees this vision, he's not actually seeing, uh, we're not gonna see that person come to earth. These are attributes that describe this person. So the horns speak of great power. Uh, also, he has seven heads, and this speaks of the fact that it's hard to kill him or to harm him, right? He's got, we're gonna see that one of his heads is, is harmed, you know, picture of his head. Seven is the number of completeness or perfection. So he's gonna have great strength. He's gonna be hard to overcome. He's not gonna be somebody that anybody in the world in their own strength can overpower. They can't. And so this is who this man is going to be. And in the vision, he's standing again. This is, John is kind of on, a, on the earth looking at him. The word beast there is a wild animal. It's therion. It implies ferociousness and brutality. He does not refer to him by any of the references, uh, any of the references of Satan. So this is not Satan. So we had four references to Satan in an earlier chapter. He was called the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. So this is not Satan. This is a man who we will see is possessed by Satan. He is a the son of, of perdition and many other names. So the word antichrist does not mean the opposite of Christ. It means instead of Christ. And so here's the, the, world, the world today, everybody's worshiping something. Most often it's probably ourselves. We worship ourselves, it's about our comfort, us being taken care of, we care about how many people follow us and how popular we are and we make it all about ourselves. But everybody's got someone they worship or they follow, whether it's themselves, their career, uh, even their spouse or, so, or their children, or anything else, that or, or a musician that they're in awe of, and we get this thing where we are so enamored. The guy's the only, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is? So Jesus alone deserves and is worthy of our worship, our praise, our honor, amen? We worship him and him alone. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. So he's gonna be evil, prideful, murderous, and he's also a blasphemer, and that's someone who mocks the name of God, who, who yeah, have you, again, people don't blaspheme all the other false gods of this world a tenth as much as they blaspheme Jesus. I've never heard anybody say, swear to Buddha. Never heard it one time. Hari Krishna, never heard it once, right? Joseph Smith, not, never heard it. What you hear is Jesus Christ, and his name is mocked, and they cr use his name as a curse word. And you know what, the, the antichrist, this beast, is going to be a man who blasphemes the name of the Lord. Bible talks also talks, we talked about this last week, the spirit of antichrist, it's anything that tries to take the place of Christ. So all the cults are trying to take the place of Christ, and you could say they're of the spirit of antichrist, trying to take his place. Again, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's not Jesus plus some religion. It's not Jesus plus some you know, ritual you must do. So anybody who adds to the cross of Calvary or takes away from the word or adds to the word, Mormons, add to the word of God. It is satanic. We pray for them. We love them. We wanna see them saved. They're preaching a false gospel, amen? Anybody who adds to or takes away from the word of God, Islam, Muhammad, false prophet, See this a lot lately, I'm getting these things sent to me. Jesus was Muslim, exactly. And you're just like, and these guys, and they know two Bible verses out of context, and, they, and so I engage with these guys. And the reality is that, again, it's a false 
gospel. Hinduism, there's 30 million gods. Buddhism, anyone who says there's another way instead of Christ. And again, the other names for the Antichrist, so we'll move on to verse two. He's called the little horn in Daniel 7. He's called the king of fierce countenance in Daniel 8. He's called the prince that shall come in Daniel 9. He's called the willful king in Daniel 11. He is called the one who comes in his own name in John 5, and the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians. It does talk about him having 10 crowns, so he's going to be ruling as king. He's gonna have authority. Many believe these 10 nations speak of the uh, European community. Again, we don't know if that's the case or not, but it's, it will be over where the old Roman Empire once was. I truly believe that the Antichrist will have to come out of the area that once was ruled by the Roman Empire. So the beast, the Antichrist, the instead of Christ, and again, we see that he is a false teacher who wants to draw people away from the truth. Verse two, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now you read this stuff, and again, these are not literal. He doesn't have like a bear head and a lion's feet, you know, right? But these are attributes, and if you read in Daniel, it talks about, in Daniel 7, and then when we're done with Revelation, before, instead of going back to Matthew, we are going to teach Daniel next, because so much of Daniel ties into Revelation. But in Daniel 7, it talks about a picture of the world's empires. The leopard was a picture of the Greek empire. The bear was the Medo-Persian empire. The lion was the Babylonian empire. And it talks about these characteristics of all these former kings and former kingdoms being a part of who this man is. We're going to see one of them very, very clearly in this morning's text. Who, who knows who what the leader was in, in Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. What did Nebuchadnezzar do uh, amongst his many other things? He built an idol to himself, and then he said, if you don't bow and worship, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. We're going to see almost the exact same thing take place in the chapter about this false Messiah, this Antichrist. Notice what it says at the end of the verse, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Who's the dragon again? Satan. Satan. Now remember, I mentioned this last week, that when Jesus began his public ministry, he went out and he fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, at the end of which, in his physical weakness, Satan shows up to tempt the Lord. When he tempts him, he offers to give him the world. Because at the time, Satan has kind of the ownership papers of the world, even though God's in control and he can't do anything unless God allows it. Remember that earlier in Revelation, he's opening the scroll, right? Remember that? And we've gone through all the different judgments and we'll, we'll pick those back up in chapter 14 and 15. But here we see this picture of this false prophet, this, the, and who does he get his power from? He gets it from Satan. And he's going to be a man of power. He's going to have a throne. He's going to have great authority. And I believe that it's probably the same temptation that, he, that Jesus was tempted with, where he comes to him and, and Satan says, if you will bow to me, I'll give you all of this. And that's exactly what happens. He ends up getting all of this. He only has it for about seven years. And the, anything the enemy wants to give you is only temporary. And in the end, you will always regret it. Amen? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. And again, it sounds like the Antichrist was tempted in the same way. So he gives him power, his throne, 
and great authority. The beast, the Antichrist, again, this end times world leader is really empowered and supported by Satan in Satan's last ditch effort at victory. You know, Satan still thinks he has a chance. He doesn't, amen? I've read the end of the book, God wins, amen? He thought he defeated the Lord at the cross. And we know that at the cross of Calvary was the greatest victory in all of human history because three days later he rose from the dead and proved himself to be God, amen? But Satan is not, is gonna go down swinging. We know that in the previous chapter, we saw that his time was short, that he was cast out of heaven yet again. This time though, had no access to God anymore. So now he's gonna go down swinging and try to bring as much destruction as he possibly can. So this beast is no ordinary man. He's empowered by Satan. We saw previously that he ascends out of a bottomless pit. And again, he is one who is demon-possessed. We will see in this chapter that the beast is going to be worshipped. The image of the beast is going to be set up. and The whole world is going to be commanded to worship it. And the beast in the end will finally be damned. But here's what I want you to see. The son of perdition, he believes the way that he serves or rules is to have authority over everyone else and have everybody worship him. The Bible tells us, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. See, greatness is not seen by how many people serve you, but by how many people you serve. Amen? That's the biblical perspective. When Jesus came, he suffered and died in your place as if he lived your life so that you could be rewarded as if you lived his. Jesus said, follow me and I will die for you Muhammad said, follow me or I will kill you. Nebuchadnezzar said, bow to me or I'll throw you in the fire. See, all the false gods of the world threaten you with pain and torment and death if you don't follow them. And Jesus says, if you will follow me, I will give you eternal life. I will die in your place. I will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will adopt you into my family and you can call me Abba. Can I get an amen to that? That's the God that we serve. And so we want to be servants. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If you want to do things the Satan's way, seek power and authority over others. If you want to do things the Lord's way, lay down your life for others. And again, he died so we could be forgiven. So point number one there, he will be a dictator more powerful and cruel than any leader this world has ever known. Number two, he will appear to have power over death. Look at verse three. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Mortally wounded literally means slain unto death. And this worldwide leader, the one who all had rejected the Lord, over all those who rejected the Lord are placing their faith in. And again, this could even be perhaps as righteous judgment of God that he receives this mortal wound. But John sees in his vision, this beast is in the midst of this desperate and hard-hearted world has put their faith in them and he, he's mortally wounded. And no, no doubt initially, they're gonna be concerned that they just lost their leader. Oh no, he's the one that was giving us answers and giving us hope as hailstones are falling from the sky, as people are dying in the millions every day, as we see the torment going on in the planet. He was our hope. But then what's going to happen, his deadly wound was healed. The recovery of the beast increases his fame and authority. The word of his wound and resurrection will no doubt spread quickly. No doubt it will go viral. Amen? People will be on their phones. People will see it taking place just like they saw the two witnesses fall. And they are going to be rejoicing because they have put their faith in this man as the savior they've been waiting for. 
He hasn't duped them yet, but he's going to not too many days after that. All the world marveled and followed the beast. Look at verse 12. I want to show you what, why the recovery is so important. Same chapter, verse 12. We'll look at this next week. But look what it says there. And he exercises all authority over the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So every time we're seeing him named, we're seeing often, what we're seeing is they're going to point out the fact that he was dead and he was healed. Go to verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So they're constantly saying, you know how we know he's the guy? Because he died and he lived. He overcame death. Well, guess what? A lot of people have been risen from the dead, but there's only one that didn't die again. Amen? There's only one that is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's only one who is the creator of all things. Wounded, healed, truly the Antichrist, trying to imitate Christ, and the world will behave, believe he has power over death, and it will add to his fame and his power. It says in 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist's reign will be accompanied by all kinds of miracles. It says the coming lawless one is according to the work of Satan, well, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders. So he will perform miracles. Now know this, the Bible teaches that a perverse and wicked generation seeks after a sign. What I mean by that, where they're only seeking the sign. Guys, we don't need to seek the sign, we need to seek the one who gives the signs, amen? We, we seek the Lord, we don't seek the mirror. Now, does our God still do the miraculous? What's the answer? Does God still heal? What's the answer? So we can pray for it. We have not because we ask not. But that being said, that's not the thing. You know, I want to say this too. I don't believe most people get saved at miracle crusades. They get saved at Bible crusades. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Right. It's the word of God that transforms lives, not just the miraculous. Does our God do the miraculous? Yes. Should we pray for it? Yes. But is it the end all to be all? No. Because Satan will be one who is a phony and will have some miraculous things that can do people. When you talk to Mormons at your door, they'll tell you they know the Book of Mormon is true because they have a warming in their bosom. I'm not kidding. Well, just read it and see if your bosom warms. I said, my bosom warms, I need a chili dog, amen? <laughs> but the point I'm making is, they're basing the truth of what they read on a feeling, amen? We don't base the truth on our feelings. Do your feelings ever lie to you? All day. Amen? So we don't base it on our feelings. We base it on the truth of God's word. 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because? So we need to study the word of God. We need, we need to make God's word our home. We need to live in it. We need to feed on it. We're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to have more faith than you do now, here's the answer. Spend more time in God's word because that's how we grow spiritually. It's not, oh, I have a burning in my bosom. Oh, I had, some, I had some tingling on my arm. Now, God, there are times when you're gonna have, I get Jesus bumps sometimes, you know what I mean? Where something happens, you're like, well, praise the Lord. But guys, we don't base our belief just on our feelings. And again, we shouldn't base our belief just on something miraculous taking place. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, yeah, our church, we haven't taught the Bible in like six months because every time we come, everybody just starts falling in the floor and wailing around and, and, and we just don't ever have time for the Bible. I'm like, you know, you call that a cult. <laughs> Amen? God's word is the authority. So he will appear to have power over death. Notice what it says at the end of verse three. It says, 
and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Again, worship there means to bow, to touch the ground with your forehead as an expression of profound reverence, to fall to your knees and put your head to the ground. And again, we see that Satan gave him this power in exchange for worship, and now they're worshiping him, and Satan has given him this authority, and it's so tragic to see that taking place. Look what it says there in verse 4. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? We're about to find out in chapter 20. Can I get him into that? But here's what the beast does. This is the, the anti-trinity. What does Jesus do? Who does he point to? Who does the Holy Spirit point to? Okay. So the beast is going to point to Satan. He's going to be pointing people to the dragon. He is the antichrist. He's the instead of Christ. He's going to get people to follow the one who wants to destroy them, the fallen angel who had been thrown out of heaven. Jesus said this, he who is not with me is against me. Guys, there is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. You're either for him or you are against him. Amen? And so you got faith and unbelief, no neutral ground. Amen? Right, you, got, you got one or the other. Bob Dylan, you got faith and unbelief. So you got faith or you have unbelief. You're either walking in an intimate relationship with the Lord or you're an enemy of God. If you, and no decision is a decision. Amen? If you have not decided for him, you have decided against him. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, if you're standing on a train track and the train's coming and you're trying to decide whether or not you want to get off or not, if you don't decide, the decision will be made for you. Amen? And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Guys, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we have such a passionate love for him that it pours out of us on the world around us. The very same people that will reject Jesus will worship Satan. The ones that didn't hear what Jesus said pointing to the Father, they will hear what the beast says pointing to the dragon who is Satan. They're going to reject the one who created them, died in their place so they could be redeemed to worship the one who wants to kill them and drag them to hell with him. Who is like the beast and who will make war with them? The world will be amazed at the power of the beast and will believe he is so mighty he cannot be conquered. And for a time, the beast will look like a tremendous winner. He's going to be killing and martyring most believers. They're going to die. It's going to look like he's being victorious. It's going to look like he's the one who's in charge. He's going to look like he's the one that's going to bring all the answers. Well, they're going to find out when the abomination of desolation takes place and he proclaims himself to be God that they've all been duped. But until then, he will rule and reign over them. Again, he will appear to be a charismatic winner for a time when he blasphemes Jesus and persecutes the tribulation saints. They will appear to be the losers for a time. Following Satan may bring temporary fleshly satisfaction, but in the end, God wins and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? So number three there, he will be worshiped by the world. Number four, he will be a great orator. Look at verses Five and six. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He was giving authority to continue for 42 months. Now we've talked about this that the tribulation is split in two. You have three and a half year period in the beginning and a three and a half year period at the end. 
And we're gonna see that there's gonna be some of God's judgment in the first three and a half years, but the majority of it takes place in the last three and a half years. This is when we're gonna see the righteous judgment of God being turned up. And so for three and a half years, he's gonna have authority. He's gonna, I, I believe he's gonna bring some, some answers. He's gonna be a great orator, and he's also gonna be able to come up with some ways to fix the problems that are taking place during the first three and a half years after the church is gone and the mess that's going on in the world. And so because of that, people are gonna just follow him. As we will see next week, they're gonna have to take the mark of the beast. If they wanna buy and sell, they're gonna take a mark of this antichrist on their bodies. And we'll talk about 666 next week when we get there. But for 42 and a half months, he's going to reign. And I truly believe it's God allows it. He's even going to allow it for a period of time. Now, what is God's ultimate desire to take place during these seven years? What does he want? To see people get saved. Because if not, he could just smoke everybody in an hour. Amen? He could just bring righteous judgment and be done with it. Anytime, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And in the midst of this, what is he doing? He's allowing time for people still to make a choice to follow him. But I will tell you this, the hardest time it will ever be in human history to follow the Lord is during the great tribulation. Because if you do it then, you won't be able to buy and sell. You'll be running for your life and more than likely you'll end up being martyred. Guys, if we can't stand for him now, being blessed the way we are, imagine what it would be like in those days. Now, it also says he's going to be a blasphemer, maybe a more accurate title. He really should be called the blasphemer. You know, the Antichrist is a name that's used for him. The beast is a name for him. But you see repeatedly that he is a blasphemer. He's a man who speaks against Almighty God and everything that God stands for. He speaks against his name, against the tabernacle, which is a picture of what takes place in heaven. And he's going to speak against those who dwell in heaven. That's us. So he's going to be mocking us, mocking Christians. Have you, now, in our country, now, again, we have no clue what it's like, really, to face persecution compared to most of the world. Amen? There are people that have been living in nations since birth, where being a Christian was against the law, and they could die for their faith or be imprisoned. And we're finally get a small taste of that, but are Christians not being mocked at, like, now, the more time in, in our history of our country? What's the answer? We're being mocked, we're being ridiculed, we're being called homophobic, xenophobic, whatever. They got names for us saying we're hateful, all because we want to stand for the truth. Amen? Now look, when it comes to certain sinful behaviors, the whole transgender thing is big right now, you either, they say you either hate me or you affirm me. As Christians, we shouldn't do either. Amen? We should love people, but we don't affirm, don't affirm my sin, I won't affirm yours. Can I get an amen to that? We don't affirm sinful behavior. But here's this blasphemer. He's going to blaspheme God. He's going to mock God. He's going to curse God. He's going to curse those who follow him and even those who have been raptured. Look what happens in verse 6. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemed me against God to blaspheme again. His name is Tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. The Bible tells us of what Antichrist will be saying. In 1 John 2, it says this of the Antichrist, who was a liar but who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus Christ is God. That is spirit of Antichrist. Amen? You can't have Jesus without the Father, and you can't have the Father without Jesus. Amen? Well, I believe in the Father. I have a problem with Jesus. Well, if you have a problem with Jesus, you have a problem with the Father, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? And there's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. 
But here we have the Antichrist referred to again by John who wrote this book uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit that he is a liar who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, he'll say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. 1 John 4, 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Now the Antichrist himself was not in the world at that time, but the spirit of Antichrist was, where people mock who Jesus is and say he did not come in the flesh. He came in the flesh. Thomas, amen? Thomas, come here. Feel the nail prints in my hand, amen? Jesus came in the flesh. That was also something the Gnostics taught in the first century church. Then the other thing the Antichrist will teach is that he is God. He says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. So the Antichrist will preach that he is God. He will say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, and he will deny the Father and the Son. There are so many cults that get wiped out right there. Amen? And what they do is they make Jesus less, and they make man more, and that's what all the cults do. All the cults make Jesus less and man more. The more you're gonna be God of your own planet. That's making man more, amen? Saying that Jesus is a created being and only got to come and be between him and Lucifer who is gonna be the savior of the world. That's making Jesus less, amen? So whenever you see somebody making man more and Jesus less, you know it's a cult and it's a spirit of anti-Christ. So why does the, why does the beast blaspheme those who dwell in heaven? This means he speaks against those who've taken, were taken in the rapture and are therefore out of his reach. We got rid of all those troublemakers. There's actually a lady in Newbury Park running for uh, the council for the schools, the school board. And one of her statements was, the best thing could ever happen to our schools is if all the Christians would just leave. We need to get all the Christians out of there and then we can have our schools function the way that they should. And here's the reality. If there's any way you can afford it, I know we can't all. But boy, I think we should just take her up on it and get all the Christians into a Christian school or homeschooling or something like that if we, if we can. Amen? If you're in a public school, stay there. Be sal- I, I went to public school. Be salt and light. May God use you there. But we know, again, we just see that that's, he's going to mock the Christians, got rid of the troublemakers, it was an alien abduction. I don't know. Who knows how he's going to explain away all the believers disappearing. He's going to blaspheme against those who are in heaven. But guess what? He's not going to stop there. Point number five, he's going to make war against all who follow the Lord. Look at verse seven. It was granted to him to make war against the saints and to overcome them. The authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nations. He's the ruler of the world. And now one of the things he's going to do, he's going to curse the believers who have gone to heaven. He's going to curse the God in heaven. He's going to curse the savior of the world. And now he's going to turn to anyone who's not bowing to him. And he is going to have them put to death, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Revelation 12 described the general terms of the satanic persecution of believers And now it gets a little more specific. And like Hitler and so many others, the beast is going to use his nation to bring about his will. When you think of Nazi Germany, you think of one person. Who is it? Hitler. And when you think of this last 
kingdom, if you will, you're going to think of one person, the Antichrist, the beast. His name's going to be synonymous with it. And he's going to use his army, and he's going to use threats to bring all the people that don't believe into submission to do what he wants. Now, here's where he's Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar made an image of himself. If you don't bow, we're going to throw you in the fire. And everybody bowed but three people, and he lost his mind. He was angry. As I said last week, the bane was popping on his neck. Throw them in the fire, right? Who's the God that can deliver you out of my hands? And the next sense is, come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God, because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Can I get him into that? And so here, this, he's going to have that same attribute. He's going to be a man that wants everyone to bow to him. He's going to overcome them, not their faith in God, but their physical lives. These are the tribulation saints who get saved during the tribulation, who refuse to bow or take the mark of the beast, and these will be uh, martyred by the millions far more will bow to the beast. Easiest thing to do is go with the flow. Any dead fish can go with the flow, right? Any of us can just do what everybody around us is doing. It takes godly character and it takes the empowering work of the Holy Spirit for us to stand and say, I don't care who else bows, I'm not bowing. I'm going to honor the Lord, amen? Now, watch this. He's gonna overcome the believers and then we see their number six, be worshiped by all whose names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Look at verse eight. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Boy, this is a great verse at the end of it. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. We heard threats about a medical choice that if you don't do this, you're being selfish. And if you did choose to do it, it was not ungodly to do it, but you had a conviction. Guys, Whatever level of conviction you have on either side of that issue, the conviction you should have on standing for the Lord should be 10 million times greater than that. I'm not doing that. We're gonna fire, then fire me. I'm standing for the Lord. You can't talk about God. You can't share your faith. Stand for him anyway. Can I get an amen to that? I have had bosses who say, well, Dave, I know you're a pastor, but you know, you can, can you just check your faith at the door when you get to work? Do I stop being my husband to my wife? Do I stop being a man? Do I stop? Well, they might think so. But you know, <laughs> but guys, who we are in Christ never goes away. He'll never leave us nor forsake us and nor should we ever deny him. And guys, you know why we deny him? Because often we're more fearful of men than we are of God. And I think the biggest problem, two biggest problems in the world right now with Christians is biblical illiteracy and we don't fear God enough. Amen? Because it's not that we don't love God often that we do things, but we don't fear him enough. We take our sin too lightly. We're, we're more worried about being popular with men than faithful to God. These millions are going to be martyred, but far more will choose out of fear and peer pressure and some in sincere desire to fall before this false prophet. And those who worship him will face a far greater price than martyrdom. See, the worst thing the world can do to you is the best thing that could happen to you. They shoot me down dead, I'm absent from the body, and I'm present with the Lord, amen? You can't threaten us with heaven. So we don't need to fear the world at all. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, amen? And so we don't need to fear the world. We need to stand with the Lord and know that if God is for us, who can be against us? 
Now, those whose names were not written in the book of life. Now, if you want a little bit of a headache, you ready for a headache? Here we go. God wrote the names in that book before he created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So does that mean that it's all been decided? What's the answer? Yeah. Biggest bunch of ambiguity in this room I've ever seen in my life. God is sovereign and we have free will. And God knows the outcome, but he did not force the outcome. Does that make sense? He desires that none should perish, no, not one. So if that's true, then everyone's saved, right? Well, no, they could. Well, it would be great if they were. But many choose not to be. Amen? So is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? God knew before the foundation of the world. Not only that, it says there, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, which means before God created Adam and Eve, before he created the universe, Jesus was already the Lamb who was slain because he knew that Adam and Eve would fall in the garden. He knew that we would all be in sin. He knew the world would need a redeemer. And he knew that he was going to send his son to redeem us even before he created any of it. Guys, we are, so, we are such idiots compared to God. Can I get an amen? When you think about all the things that God knows all at once, does it not give you a headache? I am so thankful that my God is so far beyond my comprehension because I'm not that smart. And if I could fully comprehend him, he wouldn't be that great. Amen? But he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation. He knew the choices we were going to make. And he made a choice to redeem even those he knew were going to choose to reject him to give them an opportunity to be saved. Guys, that's our God. So the Bible teaches both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Some will come to you and say, well, if God is sovereign, you don't have a choice. I disagree with that. Some believe, if they believe in that sovereignty of God to that point, there are five-point Calvinists. If you're a Calvinist and you're here, we love you. God bless you. You're wrong. But, I, but when you get to the, there's a TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. L stands for limited atonement. So if you're a five-point Calvinist, you literally believe that Jesus didn't die for all. He only died for some. And he only died for the elect. And you can't say to somebody, Jesus died for you. You have to say, if you're one of the elect, then Jesus died for you. Guys, we need to be careful. Amen? Does he desire that none perish? What's the answer? Does he want us all to be saved? So our salvation is offered universally. It must be accepted individually. So he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And God knows who will respond to him, but he doesn't force you to respond. He draws you, but you need to respond. God has no grandchildren. You're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not saved for any other reason than you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You repent and turn from your sin and you surrender your life to him. Then your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, you know, we, God wrote it before the foundation of the world, but we know when your name is in there when you've surrendered your life to him. Amen? So the beast, the antichrist, the blasphemer, the final world, world dictator will demand and receive worship from the whole earth while millions are martyred for refusing to bow and worship the beast. Far more will, again, choose to worship him. Revelation 20 tells us, anyone not found in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast into the lake of fire. While from a physical and worldly perspective, it would be easier to just bow, take the mark of the beast so you can buy and sell, so you won't be put to death. It is those that stand with the Lord, or with the world against the Lord that will pay an even bigger price, eternal torment in the lake of fire. Every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. We wanna see people saved. By the way, doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right. Amen? Amen? So standing for the Lord, it won't be easy. 
You're going to face, per- now again, don't be persecuted because you're a jerk. Amen? Don't be a self-righteous, arrogant, screaming at people. We don't need to do that. We need to love people. I have to share this story just quickly. My boss at my work, my background when I was working in San Jose, most of you know I had a job with the same company for 35 years. I just became full-time at the church a few months ago. And she came to me because people were complaining about things I had in my cubicle that talked about Jesus. And she brought me into her office. And she said, I'm gonna need you to take all that stuff down. And I said, well, no. Um, the guy next to me has got a gay Johnny poster. The person right behind him has got a Buddha. Someone else has got their feng shui thing going on. She had a book on her cubicle that said feng shui for idiots. I said, who else would it be for, I, right? <laughs> but like, move, she would come over to my desk and say, if you move your napkin, if you move your tissue box that way, you'll make more sales. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just told her, I said, look, everyone else can make a stand for what they believe in. And she said, well, they're offended by some of the stickers. I said, they're supposed to be. Amen. One of the stickers said, April 1st, National Atheist Day. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The guy didn't like that. He said, you're calling me a fool. I said, I'm not, the Bible is. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but I also had verses just said that Jesus loves you. And real men love Jesus. One guy complained, oh, I'm not a real man if I don't love Jesus. Well, actually, no. But here's the reality. That, that we are where we are for a reason. Now, be kind, be lo- Now, at the same time, I want you to know, all those people, I went on sales calls with them. I helped them make sales. I helped some of them save their jobs. I did everything I could to help them. So be a Christ-like example. Just don't put your stickers up and, you know, be self-righteous. Don't do that. But stand for the Lord, amen? And be, be, it's okay to do that. The Bible says in Matthew 10, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. But he who denies me before men... I will deny before my Father in heaven. You have a chance to stand for the Lord every day, no doubt. Divine appointments come your way. During the Roman Empire, they had to go in and make a sacrifice to Caesar or they would not be able to buy and sell. Here's a a prelude. This is, you know, 2,000 years ago. And they would have to bring a pinch of incense, pinch the incense over this fire and say, Caesar is Lord. That's all they had to do. And then they could go out and do whatever they wanted. Do you know that Christians wouldn't do that? They wouldn't just go, Caesar is Lord, and walk out going, I don't believe any of that nonsense, Jesus is Lord. But they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And you know what happened to them? They got fed to lions. They were, they were burned at the stake. They were killed because they wouldn't take the, just say, Caesar is Lord. Because they said, that's a sacrifice to a false god, and he's not Lord. Guys, they would, were willing to die to not blaspheme the Lord or put their faith in anyone else but Jesus Christ. And guys, as believers, we should be just as staunch that we're not gonna be okay with anybody mocking our savior, amen? That we're not gonna say, well, I'll just do this, just I'll go along to get along. No, I'm not gonna do that. We wanna honor the Lord. Finally, last point, he will reap the righteous judgment of his evil behavior. By the way, Isaiah 53 says this, and I'll move on. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah wrote that about Jesus on the cross 700 years before Jesus went to the cross. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Amen? Then he ends with this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is, pay attention. This is important. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. It introduces a solemn word of warning meant to capture the attention of all who are listening. Even as 
all is going according to God's plan. We are all accountable for our individual choices. Then he says this, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword shall be killed with the sword. He, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We've heard that term, live by the sword, die by the sword. We see it right here. It's also another scripture. While the beast is accountable and will reap righteous judgment for his evil behavior, he's saying, look, he's taken people captive, he's gonna be captive. He's killed people, he's gonna be put to death for all eternity. But this is also a warning to everyone else that if you follow with him, you're gonna reap the same consequences as him. If your God is the world, you're gonna reap the consequences that the world is going to reap. If you're following after the false gods of this world, you're gonna spend eternity with them. We're all gonna spend eternity, eternity with the people that we fellowship with. Amen? You either are walking with the Lord and a fellowship with, with God and his people, or you have fellowship with the world. You will reap what you sow. The beast will kill people, but one day he will his own, uh, he'll come to his own end. No matter how long the enemy appears to be winning, his judgment is coming. He will de be defeated. Let's close with this. It says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. He's saying, as we see this going on around us. They're slaughtering people. They're being ungodly. They're acting in an ungodly way. They're taking people captive. How, is, how are we as believers to endure that? The word patience there, I've shared this with you before, is hupomone. And the word means to stand under. To stand under. So it means to steadfastly endure. The character of a man or a woman who has not swerved from your deliberate purpose even by the greatest trials and sufferings of this life. It's somebody who no matter what happens around them, stands under, remains in full submission, eyes totally focused on the Lord. You're the king of kings. I'm gonna worship you no matter what. I'm gonna praise you in the midst of the storm. You're an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, and I will praise you no matter what. It's standing there no matter what's going on around us, being taken captive, people being put to death. We stand firmly under the Lord, and while it's not easy, we must take heart that in the end, God wins, and if we set our minds on the eternal and the sovereign hand of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can remain under until he calls us home. Let's remain under. Let's remain submitted. Let's have our lives fully consecrated unto the Lord. Holiness for us, grace for everyone else, magnifying and worshiping him, being unashamed of the gospel, and even in the midst of the greatest trials of your life, know that he will not allow you to go through it alone because he is a faithful God. Amen? Let's stand under. Let's hold tightly to the Lord. Patience is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And we're still here because God's not through with us. You're still breathing in and out because God's not through with you. He's not through with me. May we finish strong for the Lord. Amen? So in closing, the beast, the Antichrist, what will he do? He'll be a dictator, more powerful and cruel than any leader we've ever known. He will appear to have power over death. He'll be worshiped by the world. He'll be charismatic, a great orator. He'll make war against all who follow the Lord. He'll be worshiped by all those whose names are not in the book of life and he will reap righteous judgment for his evil behavior. I wanna say this, if you're here today, you're here by divine appointment. And if you're here today and you don't know that you know that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord, I quoted the verse earlier, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. 
I want to give you an opportunity. Word repent literally means I was headed in this direction. It means to change your mind, to change your heart, to change direction. I was following the world. I was chasing after my own lusts and my own desires. And now the Holy Spirit has convicted me that I want to know that the, the true and living God, because living my way has not worked. My life is empty. My flesh is never satisfied. He is the answer. So what do you need to do? You need to turn away from following yourself and having yourself on the throne. And you turn and you surrender your life fully to the Lord. And you come humbly before him and you say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please redeem me. Lord, please save me. And the Bible tells us if you confess him, not just as your savior, but your Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive you. He will separate your sin as far as the east is from the west and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you Pray if anybody here today doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. Even before we prepare for a time of communion, Lord, we wanna give people an opportunity to take communion because we know it's only for believers. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to the Lord, here's an opportunity to confess him before men. I'm not asking you to join a church or anything else, but just to say, you know what, Lord, I'm ready to surrender my life to you. It's time that I do that. If that's your desire, raise your hand right where you are, anybody at all. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without the Lord. Anybody. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise the Lord for, the, for these that have risen their, raised their hands. If you raise your hand, you can pray this out loud with me or in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Be my savior, be my Lord. Help me to walk with you. I surrender my life to you in Jesus' name, amen.